Hey, Mike, how are you? Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing well. What are we drinking tonight? Tonight, we are all drinking the same drink, which I think is a first, right? Yeah. We are drinking an electric Kool-Aid acid test. All right. What, what is in this uh, it's kind of It looks a little bit like a swizzle. It's, a, it's in a Collins glass. It's got crushed ice. Uh, it's a tequila, tequila blanco. Uh, we've got some slow gin, mm-hmm. uh, lemon juice, simple syrup, and then a uh, muddle of blackberries and maraschino on top, uh, all served over crushed ice with a straw. And a safe straw. It's, it's a safe paper. straw, yes. We are saving sea turtles here with our paper straws. And uh, we're recording live a little bit differently because we actually have a guest with us, uh, Bernard Kim. Say hello, Bernard. Hey, Caleb. Hey, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. <laughs> Thanks for coming. You're yeah. being a little bossy there, Caleb. Uh, the <laughs> so yeah, this is a first. We're dr- yeah. all drinking the same drink. We're in the same location and we have a guest. So this is, this is a night of firsts here. Yeah, we're just hoping everything goes relatively smoothly with the, the technical side of things. We have three laptops here on the table, three microphones. It's a, it's a computer fest. And for the record, this is the first recording right now. Who knows? We might be on three or four by the time this actually gets That's out. That's true. Um, so tonight, uh, we're going to talk about probably the most important thing inside of a Tesla, the battery, and how batteries work, what lithium-ion batteries are, why they uh, are being used by Tesla, what's coming down the pike with them. And so uh, Mike and I, uh, as much research as we typically do, uh, the battery field is way over our head, so we brought in a, a friend, uh, Bernard, who is uh, expert in battery. So, Bernard, could you share a little bit about um, sort of your history with batteries and uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure thing. Uh, so, my name is Bernard Kim. Uh, I'm a PhD student at the University of California, Berkeley, uh, and my research is working on rechargeable zinc-based batteries. Um, in the past, I've worked at Bloom Energy and Apple, uh, both in energy generation and energy storage capacities. Um, I'm happy to talk to you guys tonight about what I know about batteries and uh, the current state of lithium-ion and its application in Tesla's products. Awesome. Cool. This is going to be cool. Yeah, um, this is exciting. So, uh, so just to start off, I guess, the, as we touched on a little bit in last week's episode on the, um, on the induction motor, um, in cars, at least, uh, batteries have been used since the very earliest days um, but uh, most recently, uh, with the EV1, they used lead-acid batteries, and then uh, eventually lithium-ion batteries were sort of the enabling technology for uh, the Tesla Roadster and eventually the Model S and X. And so, yeah, I think uh, for, for many people listening, they know that lithium-ion batteries are used in like their laptop and in their phone. Um, but I guess just to sort of start out, like, how how does a battery even work? Like what 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 do we mean when we're saying a battery and like what is happening inside that little metal tube? That we- <laughs> how do we go from a science fair potato project yeah. to a battery in a Tesla? Cool. Uh, so that's a good place to start. Um, so you did bring up a good perspective, Caleb. Um, for a lot of designers, um, a battery to them is basically just a black box that provides a voltage and a current. Um, so we'll start off with what is battery and how it works. So to start at the very top level, a battery um, stores energy as chemical energy and provides electrical energy via Faradayic reactions, where Faradayic, Faradayic reactions are essentially charge transfer reactions. Um, this is in contrast to a fuel cell, which does provide energy conversion but does not provide energy storage, and a supercapacitor, which does convert energy and stores it but does not do it via charge transfer reactions. Okay, so we have uh, chem- so there's electric electric potential energy stored in 
chemical bonds inside the battery or? Yes, that's correct. Uh, so in order to store energy, a battery accepts energy in the form of electric, electrical energy, stores it in the form of chemical energy. And when it comes time to pull energy back out, uh, you're able to do that in the form of electrical energy once again. So how does everything inside the battery not all get mixed up? Like how does the elect- how does it not just explode? What- or I- ideally, right? Like yeah. In the case of the Samsung uh, notes that it did not. Uh... Right. It's, yeah, so it's, there's like potential energy inside the battery and then we want to draw energy out. How, how is it that uh, just putting a wire across the top of it makes that happen? Sure, sure. Um, so before I start jumping into the really nitty-gritty technical stuff, um, just a quick historical note, because I feel like uh, most listeners will find this somewhat interesting. Um, the first uh, sort of application of a battery was first found in 1780 by an Italian scientist, Luigi Galvani, when in the middle of doing some experiments on uh, dead animals, frog legs, um, his assistant <laughs> accidentally brushed a pair of metal tongs across an exposed muscle of a frog and the exterior skin. And when they did that, the frogs like twitched. Um, so in a fit of uh, wonder and amazement, uh, Galvani dubbed this phenomenon animal electricity because he believed that the frogs like moved as a result of some residual energy left as, uh, as a process of when the animal was alive. Um, and this later becomes known as electrophysiology today. Uh, but one of his colleagues and peers at the time, Alessandro Volta, argued that this phenomenon wasn't specific to animals, and instead this dead frog's leg acted simply as a medium for this phenomenon to occur. And in order to completely disprove Galvani, he was the one that actually created uh, what's, mo- what's today recognized as the first battery, um, the voltaic pile, which in his case was uh, alternating disks of zinc um, and silver oxide with essentially cardboard soaked in brine, salt water, as the electrolyte. Um, so this is the first real recorded mention of the battery. Um, and to start getting into the nitty gritty now, uh, there are three major uh, active parts of the battery, the cathode, the anode, and the electrolyte. Um, so if you, if you remember back to high school chemistry, um, you probably took... Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, you probably had a short you know, three to four week module about electrochemistry and about uh, redox reactions, uh, where redox reactions are uh, a pair of reduction and oxidation reactions, respectively. Um, so these three parts of the battery, the cathode, the anode, and the electrolyte, um, all work in tandem in order to be able to let you store and then later retrieve this energy. Um, so the two electrodes, the cathode and the anode, are respectively named based on the type of redox reaction that occurs at each one. Um, at the anode, uh, during discharge, oxidation reactions occur, and at the cathode, reduction reactions occur. During discharge, when you're pulling energy out of the battery, um, oxidation occurs at the anode, reduction occurs at the cathode, and as oxidation occurs, uh, where again, oxidation is, involves a loss of an electron, the electron that's lost at the anode flows through an external circuit to power your load, whether that's a light bulb, your cell phone, the Tesla Model S, whatever that may be, um, flows across this external circuit onto the cathode, where reduction occurs, where reduction is a gain of an electron. So essentially, this one electron now has moved from the anode through your external circuit to the cathode. And by moving across that, ele- that external circuit, it's provided some current and some charge, um, and that's what's uh, allowing your light bulb to shine and your car to go forward. Um, now, these accompanying redox reactions um, also involve some chemical change. Um, and the fact that an electron is involved in these reactions is why these are called charge transfer reactions. And this is uh, directly opposed to normal chemical reactions where electrons are not involved. Um, 
And again, this is what distinguishes a battery from other forms of energy storage. Because these charge transfer reactions are happening, this is what sort of signifies a battery as being an electrochemical storage device. Again, because you have these electrons um, being involved in these chemical reactions. That's it for the basis of the uh, electrodes. The electrolyte, which is the third um, electrochemically active component in the battery, uh, sits between the cathode and the anode. And this is what allows uh, ions to flow back and forth between the anode and the cathode. So whereas electrons flow through an external circuit, uh, ions, cations and anions, depending on their, whether they have a positive or negative charge respectively, are diffusing across this electrolyte uh, and depending on their charge flowing from the anode to the cathode or the cathode to the anode. You essentially have an equal number of uh, ions, cations or anions, flowing uh, in the same direction as the electrons um, in a way to balance out the charge. Um, because at all times, uh, on a global scale, electron neutrality must be obeyed. I've got electrons, so I've got the battery, it's, it's dead, there's nothing, it's, there's no charge left. And I, I charge it with electrons that are flowing from my wall into the battery. Where are those being, how is it accepting all these extra electrons and not getting freaked out? Like, I, you know, how, how does it take on more electrons and what, what makes it be able to accept some amount of more energy? Right. So, so far, uh, we've just been discussing a battery during discharge. Um, and now when we're talking about battery uh, during charge, so now when we're trying to reverse the chemical reactions that have happened before, um, essentially you can imagine that now instead of having a light bulb in your circuit, you have your, your wall charger or your Tesla charger, whatever that is. Um, and now instead of accepting electrons to that circuit, it's now pushing electrons the other way. So... Uh, Essentially, you're running the reactions that happen at the electrodes in reverse, and you're not necessarily pumping more electrons into the system. Um, you're more forcing the flow of electrons to be uh, the opposite of what is thermodynamically favored. Um, so I would think of it less as sort of pumping electrons, additional electrons into the system, but rather sort of applying, so, sort of changing the direction that these electrons would naturally want to flow. Um, so you're still getting an equal number of electrons back into the wall as you're sort of pushing in. Um, it's just that the direction is now reversed from the case where you're powering your light bulb again. Cool. Okay. So the battery essentially is, is a closed box system. We're not really putting anything into it or out of it. We're just forcing it to move one direction or the other. Yes, exactly. Okay. So we've got, we kind of understand a little bit of how the battery is, is, um, providing some amount of charge. So I guess the big question is some of us may have made potato batteries or lemon batteries. I've actually never made a potato battery. I, I talk about it all the time, but I've never done it. So I feel like I should admit this, that I'm a fraud. I, that's good. You've come clean. <laughs> um, so so we, we have that idea. And, I, and then obviously people have AA batteries and AAA batteries all around their house. So can, can you talk about sort of what's different about a AA type battery versus what's why, like a lithium ion battery? And why don't we just use double a batteries in teslas yeah why can't i recharge my duracells also yeah why can't i recharge my duracell that's sure that's like a great question that i get asked uh very frequently <laughs> um so first of all uh just to clarify uh, a double a battery the term double a or triple a or d or whatever uh doesn't necessarily refer to a specific type of battery um it refers to a form factor mm. so it's very possible to have a lithium-based battery a lithium ion battery that is the same size as a duracell battery the only difference would be that the actual insides of the battery are different. 
Um, but as you're saying with, you know, your Duracells and energizers and your typical one-off disposable batteries, your AA batteries, um, these batteries are typically called uh, alkaline batteries because their electrolyte um, is an alkaline solution. Specifically, it's potassium hydroxide dissolved in water, um, which, again, if you recall high school chemistry, uh, that's a very strong base, uh, which is why it's called an alkaline battery. Um, so these batteries uh, typically have uh, use uh, zinc-based chemistry, um, specifically zinc and manganese dioxide, where zinc is the anode and manganese dioxide is the cathode. Um, so as I mentioned before, um, oxidation occurs at the anode, and oxidation involves a loss of electrons, and reduction occurs at the cathode, uh, where reduction is a gain of electrons. So because zinc is the anode in an alkaline AA battery, uh, the reaction that occurs at the anode during discharge involves zinc losing some electrons. Specifically, uh, this reaction involves uh, the combination of zinc and uh, two hydroxide ions to form zinc oxide, a solid, additional water, and two electrons. So these two electrons uh, come from the zinc, and it's these two electrons that are being pushed through your external circuit to power your TV remote, let's say. Uh, similarly, at the cathode, because those electrons have to go somewhere, those electrons travel through your external circuit, uh, reach the manganese dioxide at the cathode, um, and combine with some more water and the manganese dioxide to form manganese oxyhydroxide and additional ox uh, hydroxide ion. Um, so essentially, to sort of uh, answer your question directly, uh, a AA battery and a lithium-ion battery are completely different because, one, their form factors are completely different, and they use uh, very different chemistries. Um, the reason why uh, most consumer AA batteries do use zinc manganese dioxide is because this is a very safe system. Um, neither zinc nor manganese dioxide are, are toxic. They're very benign to the environment. Um, the only possible, possibly uh, dangerous thing might be the strong base, but unless you crack these open and you're intentionally trying to get this base out, you're not really going to hurt anyone. <laughs> um, and second of all, these materials are very cheap, um, which is why these are used. And they can't be recharged because the, all the crud, the, the, the stuff that gets built up on the other side isn't actually uh, right. so, able to be decomposed through a charge cycle. So that's actually a little bit more of a complex question. Um, it is very possible to reverse these reactions um, you know, if you were to apply enough current in the opposite direction. Um, but the reason why you can't typically recharge an alkaline battery has more to do with the cell construction and the type of materials that are involved, um, less so than the fact that things are thermodynamically unfavorable. Um, if you were to take a cross-section of a AA battery or a D-cell battery, if you were to cut it in half lengthwise along the battery, along the length of the battery, um, you would find inside typically um, a solid zinc uh, core in the center, um, or maybe a carbon rod in the center, uh, with zinc powder packed inside. And concentrically around, toward the outside of the can, you would find your manganese dioxide powder. Um, with some sort of uh, porous separator in between, where that separator could be cardboard or paper or some other polymer-based uh, film. And that's, what, that's where the electrolyte's going to be? That's right, the separator. that's where the electrolyte's going to sit. Um, so uh, it's very possible to recharge these, but the reason why most manufacturers recommend you don't do this is because uh, ideally you would want your zinc, your anode material, to reform uh, perfectly in a, uh, in a monolithic crystal. Um, but because of various factors, you know, surface energies and favorable deposition sites, most likely you're not going to be able to get a completely homogeneous plane of zinc recrystallizing as you reform zinc back onto the anode. Because again, remember, you turned the zinc into zinc oxide um, when you discharge the battery. 
Um, and so if you can't get a solid monolithic plane of zinc, of zinc reforming as you recharge this battery, which you most likely won't, um, you're instead going to form what are called dendrites, where if you can imagine the branch of a Christmas tree, um, and you see the branch coming out, and you see a little you know, pine or fir needle sticking out, those little needles that are sticking out um, are formed as a direct result of zinc's atomistic structure and where the zinc would favorably like to recrystallize. Um, and as these things stick out, you can imagine they're pretty sharp and pointy. They're eventually going to pierce through that electrolyte, and all of a sudden now you have a very fancy resistor, which can heat up and potentially cause fires and other damages. Got it. So Sounds like a pretty cool macro photography project. It, it, is, yeah, it, it is. That sounds like it would look pretty cool. They, they do look cool. And you can, you can look at pictures online if you're interested of dendrite formation. So you're saying I could charge it a little bit maybe? So you technically could <laughs> You're char- saying there's a chance. So you're saying no. <laughs> so, so you could try and charge it, but essentially uh, the zinc oxide is going to, rather than go back exactly where it came from, it's going to create these like spiky bits. And those spiky bits will eventually pierce through the middle. Yes, that's exactly right. I'm going to short out my battery and it might overheat slash explode. Yes, that's correct. Um, and one point that I think I forgot to mention um, during our sort of battery overview uh, portion um, is that you do want your electrolyte to be conductive to ions, but not conductive to electrons. Um, the distinction being there, uh, the electrons are what, are what you want to be flowing through your external circuit and the ions what you want to be flowing through the inside of your battery. Um, because if your electrolyte uh, is conductive to electrons, then essentially you don't have uh, a pathway that the electrons can follow outside of the battery. Mm. Yeah. You have like a short circuit inside your battery. Exactly. Basically. And then you don't really have battery anymore. What, what, is, what is special about lithium uh, that makes it so good for like a battery? Like why, why, why was it, why is it used in batteries and like what's, what's good about it? Why, why would we use it? Right. Um, so lithium, um, if you look at the periodic table, is the lightest element, lightest solid element um, on the periodic table. And as a result, it offers the highest uh, gravimetric energy density or specific energy uh, of any material that exists, of any element that exists. Um, and so manufacturers are drawn to lithium because essentially it lets you get the most amount of energy in a given uh, volume and for a given weight. Um, and this is particularly important for applications like EVs, um, like Tesla, because if, you, if you're familiar with the rocket equation, where, which basically describes that... We know Elon Musk is, so I would like <laughs> to know more about the rocket equation. Yeah, let's just pretend that I'm not, and, and maybe you can explain it. <laughs> sure, sure. So the rocket equation essentially relates how much fuel you need to uh, sort of carry in your rocket uh, to the distance that your rocket can travel, you know, based on a variety of factors, you know, how fast you're going and other things like that. Um, but it's sort of an analogous situation to EVs. Um, if you have a very heavy battery, but you can't store a lot of energy in it, you're essentially decreasing the range that your car can actually go. Um, and this is the case for a lot of very early electrical vehicles, too. Um, their range is limited to maybe tens of miles. Um, and most people don't want to buy a car that can only go 30 miles before you're out of juice and you're stranded on the side of the highway without a charge. Yes. I don't know. People are buying Nissan Leafs. <laughs> um, but so in order to actually have a viable replacement, to traditional internal combustion engine cars, you want to be able to have a car that can go a comparable range um, as a typical gasoline-powered car. Um, but if you, again, if you do have a very heavy battery, you're essentially cutting into this range because you need to use more energy in order to make the car go a given distance. So, so what you're saying is that the reason we don't use double, one reason we don't use AA batteries is that zinc uh, is not as um, 
energy doesn't have as much potential energy density uh or potential to make a really strong battery as lithium does and it's also heavier so if we were to make a lot of AA batteries in our car it would just be extremely heavy and probably not move yes that's one reason um in the battery terminology we would say that the energy density of lithium based batteries lithium ion batteries is much higher than the energy density of your AA alkaline battery okay got it so when i'm lifting my remote that's fine and low low amount of current needed but the the car might just be way too heavy to do anything useful right that's that's exactly true as a random aside too i recently had to replace my car battery like not my 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 internal combustion engine battery and i was completely unprepared for how heavy that thing was there's lead in there yeah it's insanely heavy (laughs) i feel like half the weight of my vehicle is that stupid battery (laughs) i'm dragging around Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> so we could make, we, so yeah, so obviously lead is lead acid batteries are lead as the, as the material for the, the metal component inside the battery instead right. of lithium. Exactly. Um, and the reason why lead acid batteries are used in internal combustion engine cars is because at that point, the weight of the battery is not that big of a concern. Um, and the advantage that lead acid batteries have over lithium ion or uh, alkaline batteries is that one, they're very, very cheap. Um, and two, they're very robust to a lot of environmental conditions. Um, so whether you're driving a car in the middle of the desert or in Minnesota when it's negative 40 outside, that lead-acid battery is probably going to perform a lot better than lithium-ion battery would do uh, if you didn't uh, in, in the same conditions. We talked about lithium. Uh, maybe just for everyone, you can explain like what the ion part is, like what exactly is an ion? Right. Um, We're so getting like, into ELI-5 here. But yes. <laughs> yeah, sure, it's good. Just for, for completeness sake. Sure. Uh, so I think this will sort of be the start of our lithium-ion portion. Um, a lithium-ion battery is a little bit different from conventional batteries. Um, in conventional batteries, you do typically have uh, a solid monolithic anode, um, whether that's zinc or copper or magnesium, uh, whatever you want it to be. Um, but in the case of lithium-ion, the reason why it's called lithium-ion in the first place and not just lithium is because your uh, cations that are diffusing across your electrolyte are actually lithium-ions themselves. Um, and instead of having a block of solid lithium um, at one of your electrodes, at your anode, um, you instead have, typically, uh, a graphite-based composite with lithium ions being sort of shoved into the spaces in this graphite matrix. Um, So if you imagine um, sort of the pages of a book where you have all these different pages stacked atop each other, um, that would represent your graphite-based anode, where you have sheets of graphite sort of stacked on top of each other. Um, and in order to charge this battery and actually be able to um, put it into a state where you can start to draw energy from it, you're essentially shoving these lithium ions. You can imagine they're ball bearings or marbles. You're shoving, you're shoving these lithium ions between the pages of this book um, because these pages can swell a little bit. They have some spaces where these ions can favorably sit. And so you shove these marbles or ball bearings into the pages of this book until you can't fit anymore. Um, and that's considered charged. <clears throat> On your cathode side, you typically have a lithium oxide, metal oxide, um, whether that's iron phosphate or NCA, which is uh, nickel cobalt aluminum, or MCO, which is manganese cobalt oxide. Um, whatever it is, you typically have some lithium-based cathode, and this is where the lithium favorably sits when it's first introduced into the system. Um, before uh, lithium-ion batteries, before this term became sort of the new standard, these batteries were called rocking chair batteries because you essentially had these lithium ions being rocked back and forth between your cathode and anode as this battery is being cycled, charged and discharged and charged and discharged. So when you say rock back and forth, does that mean there's like a physical motion of these 
uh, ions that are like are the actual like atoms moving around? Or? Yes, that's that's exactly right. Oh, okay. Um, so when you do have a charged lithium-ion battery, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, these lithium ions are sitting uh, in between these sheets of graphite at the anode, and as you <clears throat> discharge this battery, these same lithium ions are diffusing across your electrolyte and sitting back inside these. Uh, lithium metal oxide or inside this lithium metal oxide at their favorite sites um, and so essentially the only ions that ideally should be moving back and forth are these lithium ions inside your electrolyte is it also true that one like lithium ion moves with each electron or is it like does a lithium ion spew off 10 electrons and then it shoots across while the electrons is just discharged move through the circuit like do you have a sense for what that like so, so because uh, one, a lithium ion has uh, a one plus positive charge, this means that for every lithium ion that you're discharging inside your battery, uh, you have one electron being moved across your circuit. That's pretty so, clean. So we have lithium, which is, I don't know, what, the, what is the atomic number of lithium? Uh, three. Three? Okay, so that is, what is it, like a proton and an electron and a neutron? Uh, I believe it's three protons, three neutrons, and I guess that'd be three electrons. Okay, um, and then when you say an ion, that means it's taken on an extra electron. Is that the uh, definition? So the definition of an ion is um, actually I don't know if this is the official definition, but essentially, <laughs> um, it's a neutral. You take a neutral atom and you either uh, give it excess positive or excess uh, negative charge. Where giving it excess positive charge would essentially be removing negative charge because you know you can only give or remove electrons. Um, so for lithium ion, because its charge is one plus, but its atomic number is three, this essentially has three protons, three neutrons, and two electrons because it's lithium one plus. Um, and so that's three plus plus two minus is one plus. Gotcha. Which okay. is where that charge comes from. Um, and this is what's called a monovalent ion because you only have one electron being given off per atom of lithium, per ion of lithium. And is that the maximum? Like, can you actually remove more uh, electrons from a lithium atom, or is it, is it just one? Uh, this is starting to go deep into chemistry. That's not <laughs> not okay. common uh, in the battery world. Uh, you you probably could, but uh, it I, it would not be very thermodynamically favorable, and you'd have to invest a lot of energy in order to get that extra electron off. So then okay. we might have a nuclear reaction happening. We're going to invent cold fusion here. <laughs> yeah. Is what we're going to do. I think we might. We've got enough brain power, on, at least on one side of the table over here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, not my side. Um, so okay. So um, so the lithium ion battery is. Uh, Unlike uh, like a regular AA where the zinc is actually one of the electrodes, we're saying if you tried to make the lithium be the electrode, it would have had the dendrite problem as well. And so they decided instead they found a clever way to actually put the lithium in the electrolyte solution and have it be an ion exchange instead of it being one of the, the component of the cathode, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's, anode, that's, that's one way to think about it. Um... There's some future work being involved or being worked on right now that does use solid lithium um, as an electrode, um, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, but one of the main problems with lithium um, is that it is, again, a group one metal on the periodic table. Um, and if you do recall, uh, in high school chemistry... Um, Pretend I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think uh, most, most people had uh, an experiment that their teacher probably did for them where they took a solid chunk of sodium, uh, most likely, that was you know, kept in oil, and they threw it in 
a beaker full of water behind a blast shield and the yeah, sodium this was awesome. I, this to... was my favorite chemistry experiment in high school. <laughs> right, right. Most, most people remember this because it was, you know, pretty, pretty violent. Um, essentially the sodium, this chunk of sodium sort of sits on top, starts bubbling, hissing, and all of a sudden starts spewing off chunks of sodium and hydrogen gas everywhere. Um, and essentially this is because these group one metals are very, very unstable in air. The moment they react with water, um, they do react violently, clearly. Um, so a lot of uh, care needs to be taken when you're working with, uh, with solid lithium. And again, Caleb, as you mentioned, this dendrite problem is one of the issues that sort of prevented early use, early adoption of solid lithium-based uh, batteries. Um, but again, by using lithium that's sort of uh, originally stored in lithium metal, ca- lithium metal oxides and using that as the cathode, um, you're able to sort of harness, still harness the power of lithium inside a battery uh, by essentially avoiding the problem of using solid lithium as an electrode. So, yeah, that's actually really interesting because I was, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, before we started recording, I've been listening to, uh, well, I always listen to Science Friday. In February, they had a couple of episodes about lithium stuff, and one of them they were talking about uh, the problems that Samsung was having. And uh, they were talking, you know, everyone's kind of very interested in kind of mocking Samsung for all these exploding things and the horrible PR thing of like every airplane announcing on every single flight that everyone has to get rid of their Galaxy Note 7s or whatever. But um, I thought what I, what I thought was really interesting, what I took away from it was how much precision goes into manufacturing these lithium ion batteries that like any like small impurity that gets introduced into the process, like a molecule of water or something can completely ruin the battery and that they're manufactured like i always think of batteries as these like dirty things that chemical plants are putting together but these things are actually manufactured in like clean room facilities with like zero humidity and yeah i just thought that was really interesting like is that is that actually am i remembering that correctly no no is that true bernard (laughs) yeah that's that's exactly true um essentially because the demand for uh energy density in batteries for consumer electronics and evs and every single other application um, is so high. Essentially, people are wanting more and more energy in the same amount of space. Um, It's sort of pushed uh, manufacturing of batteries into this very, very tightly controlled environment, where, as you said, they are made in clean room environments. Um, A lot of the time, especially in a research capacity, uh, lithium-based batteries are made under argon. Um, So essentially an environment with no oxygen, no water, tightly controlled to ensure that you don't have any of these uh, introduced in your manufacturing process. So, like to tie that into Tesla too, then that's what they're doing at the Gigafactory. Yeah. Then, and that they're scaling up to enormous volumes. Is this not just a random process of throwing some chemicals together and bat- like sealing it into little battery cells? Like it's an actual, like legit manufacturing, incredible process, manufacturing yeah. process. Yeah, and, yeah that's, and, that's very true. And helpful being in Nevada with uh, low uh, low humidity by default. Yeah, yeah. Let, less to pump out. Um, so let's. I guess curious to talk a little bit about like. What's your, like, what, what's your sense of why lithium-ion batteries have progressed as far as they have, right? Because 20 years ago, the EV1 was using lead-acid batteries. The price of lithium-ion batteries was, like, something like $1,000 per uh, kilowatt hour of, of cell, um, cell capacity. And now we're somewhere around 150-ish or so, hoping to get to the sort of theoretical limit of maybe $80 per kilowatt hour for lithium-ion batteries. So, what happened in the preceding 20 years that went from $1,000 down to around 150 or 200 Like, what's happened, and will it continue? 
Um, well, so that's a pretty loaded question. <laughs> um, uh, essentially, like why to, why weren't we here twenty years ago? What what has changed in that twenty year period with these batteries? Uh, essentially, to answer your question uh, in one sentence, um, there have been a lot of technological advancements in understanding lithium ion based systems that have basically uh, led to a combination of pushing the cost down of lithium ion based systems while simultaneously increasing the amount of capacity, increasing the energy density um, of a given chemistry. Um, so the reason why uh, these lithium-ion batteries weren't present in EVs before um, is because, well, mainly they're just too expensive. Um, if you were to, uh, let's see, make the Nissan LEAF, which was introduced in 2008 or 2009, I think, and use nickel metal hydride batteries, if you were to use lithium-ion batteries back then, I'm sure you would have at least doubled the price of the car. Um, and then most people wouldn't have bought that car to begin with. Um, but secondly, since then, um, and every year, uh, year on year, there's always uh, some improvement in the energy density of commercial lithium-ion batteries. <clears throat> um, and this is what's sort of pushing uh, the thrust of sort of mass deployment of EVs. Uh, because, again, as I mentioned before, uh, you do want to have a very high energy density, especially for uh, an EV application because this essentially increases the amount of energy you can store in your car for a given weight, which therefore increases the range of your car. Um, and so as lithium ion has been better understood and advancements have been made to improve this energy density, you're now sort of reaching a point where the cost uh, is sort of outweighed by the amount of energy that you can carry around with you with lithium ion versus other battery chemistries. So is there uh, anything, like you mentioned, like the cost coming down um, over time, but is there, are there other factors? Like, I guess what I'm wondering is, is like, are there performance characteristics that vary from battery to battery? Like, are some batteries better for like slower discharge for longer periods or some of them better for like really bursty, um, like high discharge environments? Like, or is it just like any chemistry could be adapted based on how it's manufactured? Uh, no, that's a very good question, um, and you're absolutely right. The application that you're uh, that you want your battery to provide for um, does change which battery you actually would ideally want to use. Um, so, going back to our earlier discussion about why don't you just throw a bunch of double A's together into a car and use that to drive around with? I'm still that's our I'm startup still, idea. No one take it. Yeah, please. <laughs> They're real cheap. I hear I can get them on uh, at Costco. Real cheap. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons why you don't want to do that um, is because those double A batteries are ideally suited in an environment where you're drawing very low currents out of them for a long period of time. Um, so one of these sort of uh, performance characteristics of batteries that uh, people are trying to optimize um, is their peak power um, and what their capacity is over that peak power. Um, so you can imagine uh, you have a tank of water, um, and this tank of water sort of represents the amount of capacity that your battery can store. Um, so ideally, whether you take the water out of this tank one cup at a time or you're shooting it out with a fire hose, you'd want the total volume of water that you're getting out of this battery to be the same in both cases. Uh, but what actually happens in practice when you apply this to batteries is that's not the case. Um, because batteries are not an ideal system, you end up with losses inside the battery. Um, these can be uh, concentration over potentials, uh, internal resistances, uh, ohmic losses, um, and a variety of other factors, parasitic side reactions that essentially limit the amount of energy that you're able to get out. And this changes depending on your discharge rate, how much, how fast you're taking the water out of this tank. Um, so with a AA battery, when you start discharging them at very high current rates, uh, 
you end up only being able to get out maybe half of the rated capacity. Um, and if this is the case for a car battery that you're trying to make with AA batteries, all of a sudden now you're carrying around this gigantic battery pack, half of which is dead weight, and it's just limiting your range now. Um, and that's not really what you want. Um, so lithium-ion batteries, um, and again, this really depends on the chemistry of lithium-ion that you're using. Um, I believe Tesla's using MCO or NCA. Um, I can't recall which. Um, but these chemistries are very well suited for high-power peak pulses, um, which, when you're driving a car, you do want that sort of instant acceleration. You don't want to be limited to, um, to a very slow acceleration if, let's say, you have to speed up suddenly on the highway. That's just dangerous for a car. Um, so you do want batteries that are capable of providing very high currents very rapidly. Um, and the reason why this changes from battery to battery um, is due to a variety of factors, um, among which includes, uh, include diffusion rates um, of your ion species uh, through your electrolyte, through your electrodes, um, and other uh, thermodynamic uh, considerations, um, primarily kinetic considerations, however. So this would be why Tesla heats up the battery when it's in ludicrous mode before uh, before it accelerates. Is that that's right, Caleb? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the one. Yeah. So, the, so, so the Tesla, the the best we know so far is yeah, they're using a, a lithium nickel cobalt aluminum oxide, so just slightly modified version. And and um, yeah. So the, so one maybe you could talk about it, Bernard. So uh, the Nissan Leaf does not use cooling or heating of the battery. It's just passively. Um, thermodynamically managed but tesla does use a, a water um coolant loop around the battery and so uh yeah they heat up the battery to an ideal temperature before they get their super high amperage draw for their ludicrous mode so why why does a lithium-ion battery need to be at a specific temperature um or, or what is the positive of having it at a certain temperature versus being really cold or really hot right um this is actually the first that i've ever heard um, of Tesla heating up their batteries, which I don't doubt that that's, that that's true. Um, but uh, I would probably guess that in order to, again, as you said, satisfy these high current demands of this ludicrous speed mode, they need to be able to promote high diffusion rates, very fast diffusion rates um, within their batteries. And by increasing the temperature, um, you're able to, in most cases, increase the diffusion rates of a given ionic species. And so the faster it can diffuse, the higher the current the battery could output? Exactly. Um, a lot of the current limitations in batteries is due to kinetic limitations. Um, and by kinetics, again, this is referring to how fast chemical reactions are occurring. Um, but limiting these chemical reactions can also be the actual mass transport of ions uh, within the actual system. So even if a reaction can occur at a given speed, if you don't have the necessary uh, chemical constituents that need to be present in order for that reaction to even happen. It doesn't really matter how fast that reaction happens if you don't even have the precursor materials for it uh, to work. So uh, in the case of a Tesla where they have um, the batteries are composed, they're like these huge entities that are composed out of all these small individual cells, how much of the performance characteristics can they get out of the different ways they combine all these different cells? Like versus like um, so if they, let's say they have these cells and they have a certain discharge rate, um, but if they combine them in certain ways, like, I don't know, like wiring them in series versus parallel or something, can they actually like get better performance characteristics out of lower performing battery cells based on the electronics around them? 
yeah, it's very possible. Um, I know that for a lot of uh, EVs, they do include a factor of safety. Um, essentially, what this refers to in the case of batteries, um, and not, say, talking about a bridge, uh, means that they uh, sort of oversize the battery packs in order to guarantee that even if some cells are underperforming, you're still able to get out the necessary current that you need for whatever acceleration you're demanding. Um, in the case of different electrical connections, um, and again, I'm not sure what uh, voltage these, uh, the full packs are operating at, um, but by connecting batteries in series, you're able to increase the operating voltage, um, which could be necessary for uh, whatever systems they're powering. Um, and by wiring them in parallel, you're able to increase how much current you can get out uh, of sort of one branch at one time, um, which, again, if you do have a single cell that's underperforming, if you have enough cells in parallel, you're able to sort of overcome uh, the loss in performance from one cell. Okay, so my AA-powered car still has a chance if I'm clever enough with the wiring. <laughs> yeah, and what, one of the other things interesting about the Elite the 18650 cells, which is sort of the size that the Teslas are currently using and they'll be moving to the 2170s, is that they, isn't there sort of specific voltage, like somewhere between 3.7 and like 4.1 volts, which is obviously like three and a half, four times bigger than the 1.5 volt AA. And so, uh, yeah, that, that amount of voltage is um, specific to that battery chemistry, like different batteries will have different natural voltages or? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Um, so if you were, again, going back to our AA example, um, if you were to look at the uh, redox potentials, the standard reduction potentials of the two half reactions involved, and again, these are zinc and manganese dioxide materials. Um, if you were to take the difference between those two, you would end up with a number, depending on the sources you used, um, 1.43 to 1.46 volts. Um, and most manufacturers just round this up to 1.5 volts, just to make things a little bit easier. I've been shortchanged 0.1 volts <laughs> my whole life. Well, aren't the rechargeable like double A's are even lower too? They're like 1.3 or something. Right, they are, and that's because they use a nickel metal hydride chemistry. Um, and it goes just an aside. Uh, I don't, you're not really getting short change because most consumer electronics are designed to operate between a wider voltage window than just 1.5 volts. Mm, all right. All right. I'll let it slide. This concludes part one of our battery episode. Uh, we'll be back with part two next week.